I'm going to be in Exodus chapter 3 today. I'm going to read the first 10 verses, and I'm going to move around a little bit because I, I do think the slides are going to show for you today. But Exodus chapter 3, first 10 verses, we have been talking about reset. So if you're here today and you think, you know what, it would be nice if I could just go back to this and then start over, that would be great. If I could just back up to this, do y'all do that on your computer sometimes? Do people still do that? You used to be able to back up to a point in time on your computer and you could set the, the computer back to exactly what it was on that day, you know, whether a week ago or a month ago or whatever it was, and, and people would do that. And, and if you're sitting here kind of thinking, I wish I could go back to that week or that month or that year, whatever it is, and I could just reset everything back to then, I would do some things differently. Or you might say, you know what, the whole thing's just been a mess. Everything back there, I wish I could just get rid of that. I wish I could just reset it today and start over. If, if that's what you're thinking, that's what we're talking about for four weeks, how to do a reset. And, and I think I've got these for you. I want to show them to you. This is what the, the reset looks like for the four weeks. Last week, we did it this way. Cast the first stone. And we used that text where the Pharisees, the religious people, brought the woman who was guilty. I mean, no one said she wasn't guilty. She didn't say she wasn't guilty. They just brought her and they said, Jesus, here she is. She's guilty. The law says she should be stoned. What do you say? And they tried to set a trap for Jesus. And Jesus looked at this woman and he said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. But before he said all of that powerful stuff, he said to the accusers, if you're the one without sin, you cast the first stone. And that was the lesson for us. When you, when you need a reset, it really starts there. You need to understand there's no one in this world who can legitimately condemn you. The only one who could is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says, I'm not going to do it. Instead, he says, I'll condemn myself for you. Instead, I'll take your place. You, you deserve something for what you've done, so I'm going to take it. That's what he says. There's no one else who can cast a stone at you. And so when you need a reset, that's a great place to start. Today we're going to talk about take off your shoes. And we're going to be reading in Exodus 3 where Moses has an encounter with God. And I'm just going to kind of draw out the things that are in that passage today because I want you to see those. And if, and if you're here today and you're thinking, you know what, it's just I, the spiritual thing. I hear what you're saying. I'm in church today, but I just, I got nothing. You ever feel that? I'm just, I'm just empty, like I'm a thousand miles from nowhere. Y'all know that song? That's an older song. The white yoga. I'm a thousand miles from nowhere. You know, you get these things in your mind, and, and, uh, and sometimes you feel that way. Especially when it, when it comes to your relationship with God. You're, you're thinking, well, you know, I, I don't, I mean, people talk about hearing God, but I don't think I've heard it. People talk about meeting God, I'm not sure. I'm just, I'm a thousand miles from nowhere. Or maybe I did hear from God somewhere back there in the past, but I can't. It's been so long, I, I don't even know if I remember it correctly. What you really need, one of those encounters. And that's what we're going to read about today. When Moses encounters God, one of the first things that God says is take off your shoes. The place you're standing is holy ground. Anywhere you meet with God is holy ground. Come back next week, we'll look at the third one. Stop my stupid. You don't want to miss that. If you've ever done stupid stuff, you want to be here for that. <laughs> if you think you might do stupid stuff in the future, you want to be here for that. Stop my stupid. One of the greatest men in the Bible. You know, we look back on his life and think of him as one of the greatest 
people to ever serve Jesus, one of the greatest missionaries the world has ever seen. And there was a point in his life when he was stuck on something. That's where he was. And he needed a reset. And that reset happened when Jesus caught up with him. So that's next week. And then the last week is give me a sign. And I don't know if you've ever said that to God before. God, can you just give me a sign? There was a cartoon, I think it was, it was, I think it was VC. Y'all remember that cartoon, the VC cartoon used to be in the newspaper? I don't get the newspaper anymore, so I don't even know if that still runs. But the little character there in VC, he's looking up to heaven and he's going, God, give me a sign. And in the next slide, there's a giant sign that has fallen to the earth. And it's right there. Here's your sign. And in the next slide, the little character's looking up again and going, any sign, God, any sign will do. Right. It's so obvious. God just sends you a sign, but sometimes you don't see it. So when you need a reset, you know, sometimes that's where you are. It's, it's I, I need a sign, God. I need you. I know you're here. I believe in you. I love you. I think I'm the best I can. But I just need a sign. I need some direction here. And when you get to that place in life, there are some really great things in Scripture to give you some guidance about how God gives us signs, how he directs us. So that's the reset series. And we're really uh, just now getting to the middle of it. So today, taking off your shoes, you're going to read that scripture, Exodus chapter 3. If you feel a thousand miles from nowhere, you're in the right place. Now, if you've got a Bible, you can read it there. I'm going to read it straight from this page. Now, Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, he didn't know it was the mountain of God back then. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is burned, not burned up. When the Lord God saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people in Egypt. And have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a land that is good and spacious, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanite, Hittite, Amorite, Perizzite, Hivite, Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel have come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now. I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Would you join me for prayer? Father in heaven, thank you so much for providing stories like this. You remind us of holy history, and they become for us lessons. And today, as we consider what you did all of those years ago, we want to see the lessons that make a difference in our life today. 
So God just now is repeating these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> so we're thinking about a reset today. <coughs> when you look at this scripture, and you see what happened to Moses, <coughs> what you need to know, if you haven't read Exodus before, or you've never thought about it before, or you've just, you know, never heard it talked about, this is what you need to know about Moses. He was born in Egypt. And at the time, he was living under a death penalty. You know, all the little uh, baby boys were supposed to be put to death. And so his mom took him and she put him in a basket and she covered that basket and made it as safe as she could make it for him. And she put him in the river and she let him float down the Nile to where she knew someone would find him. And the daughter of Pharaoh found him in that basket. And Moses' sister, you know, it's just wonderful how these things work. She ran up and she said, do you want me to get uh, one of the Hebrew <clears throat> women to come and take care of this child for you? And so she went and got her mother, Moses' mother, who, who took care of him. And he grew up like he was Pharaoh's daughter. That's how he grew up. And, when, and he knew who he was. And when he got older, <clears throat> he saw an Egyptian, you know, a, a, abusing a Hebrew and, and he took matters into his own hands and he wound up killing an Egyptian man. When he thought that was known, he really fled for his life. So he, he grew up in a really great situation, you know. He, God had just orchestrated his circumstances. He was educated well. He's provided for well. I mean, he just had so many good things. And then, then this event happened and, and he fled for his life. And he went out to the middle of nowhere. And there's no reason for us to believe that Moses had any intention of anything different other than living out his life on the backside of some desert somewhere. There's no reason for us to think he had any other idea. He was out there. Uh, he met someone. He met her family. Uh, he got married. He had children. I mean, he, as far as we know, that's where he planned to be. That's where he planned to stay for the rest of his life. As far away from Egypt as he could go. And then God showed up and did a reset. And, and it's wonderful when you're reading this passage because the way God does this is he doesn't just show up in his face and say, Moses, right here. It's more like he's just off to the side a little bit. There's just something odd going on, just something out of the norm. Because he had seen bushes burn before. It's just this one did not burn up. It just kept burning. And, and he decides, I need to go check this out. So there was a little interest there on Moses' part. And so he approaches. But this is not just another bush. Because when he gets close to this bush, a voice calls to him. That's his encounter. And that's the beginning of his reset. So, so here's what I want to do. I just want to draw out a few observations from this. And, and the ones that apply to you, they're the ones that apply to you. And the others, if you say, well, I don't really get that one, maybe that's for somebody else today. But this is where I want to start today. When you need a reset, it starts here, that God knows where you are. He knows where you are. If you've ever felt like I'm as far away from God as I could ever be, if you've ever thought to yourself, I don't even know how to begin, like I don't know how to pray. They talk about this Bible. I know it's God's book, but I don't understand anything in it. I go to church and there's just nothing. I mean, if that's you, what I want you to know is God knows where you are. And if you're on the run, because that's what a lot of people do, they run from God and then somehow they stumble into a church service. You know, like they weren't thinking about coming to church last week or the week before, but here they are today. 
And I just want you to know, if you've been running and just trying to do your own thing, that, again, God knows where you are. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a good way. Like, you didn't get lost. He didn't lose sight of you. He didn't lose track of you. He, he still knows where you are. So if you're trying to run, or if you just feel lonely, or if you just think that God doesn't know and doesn't care, please hear today that he knows where you are. He knew where Moses was. And I didn't give you a time frame, but roughly Moses spent 40 years in Egypt. And then he spent about 40 more in the desert before God did a reset on his life. Now you're thinking, okay, I can math. He was about 80. Wow. He was old. I'm nowhere close to 80 and people call me old, you know. But think about it, what it, what it was. I mean, he, he had lived roughly 80 years of his life, and then at that point, God did a reset for him, and there would be so much more to come. Like the, the real, we would say the real work that God had for Moses in the world didn't start until he got 80. It took off after he was 80. So again, if you're sitting here thinking, this stuff's for the young people, it's not for me. I just want you to know, look, God may have so much more for you in the future, way more than anything you've done in the past already, where, whatever stage of life you're in. He knows where you are. Um, when I was in my 20s, I went to a church, and it was, it was, like, I don't even know how the mailman found it. You know, it was so far out there. It was just a church way in the middle of nowhere. And they had a little house. And, and Michelle and I would travel over there with the kids on the weekends and stay for the weekend. And I would preach on Sunday. And I was a college student at the time. That's what we were doing. And I can just remember, you know, on a, a Saturday afternoon, going over to the little office there in the church and sitting there. Michelle and the kids were over in the house. And, and I'm just thinking, you know, where are we? What are we doing? You know, why, why would God bring us here? I look out the window and you can't see anybody. There's no house. There are no people. It's just us. I mean, this is the rural church. And, and, and again, what seemed like the middle of nowhere. And I just remember feeling, thinking, but feeling like, why would God want us to be here? Why? And, and if I can just be as transparent with you as I know how to be, he never answered that question. God never answered it. He just left us there. <laughs> but, but he knew where we were. I don't know how that kind of came back to me. Maybe people in my life would just remind me of it. But the whole time we stayed in that church and all the time that we were there, um, you know, someone, some way would say something that would remind me of this. That God knew where I was and he wanted me there and he had a purpose in it. And sometimes the purpose is to stay put and be faithful. Just stay put and be faithful. He knows where you are. And again, I don't know all your circumstances, but that's what I would say to you. He knows where you are today. And then here's the second part of it. God will find ways to get your attention. Now, I want to say that wouldn't it be great if they were all good ones like we just read in the Scripture? Wouldn't it be great if that's how God gets your attention? He, he gets your attention. It's kind of a burning bush experience. It's, it's nothing painful up front. It's just kind of interesting, and he just kind of draws you in. Wouldn't that be great? Sometimes, however, God will get your attention through things that hurt, through pain, through suffering. It's something that I've watched as a pastor happen over and over again. 
People just kind of rock on with their lives. Everything's good. They're happy. And then when, when, when life gets painful, all of a sudden they want to talk to God. You know, you've been there. You've done that too. So when, when life gets painful, things start to hurt. When things are lost and things like that begin to occur, all of a sudden, all the, uh, all the, what pain does is it takes all the unimportant things in your life and pushes them to the side. That's what pain does. They, they, all those things you thought were such a big deal, they are unimportant now. Everything that matters now is right here. It's, it's me and dealing with God and only God can help me. That's what pain will do to you. But however it works, God finds his way to get your attention. Now, again, I love what happens in this scripture because it's a burning bush, because it's just off to the side, because the bush doesn't burn up. Moses gets to make a choice. You know, I'll go check it out. It's kind of a pleasant thing. And if something like that happens for you and that's the way God chooses to get your attention, wonderful. But I want you to know that God always finds ways to get your attention. And if the pleasant ones don't work, he has other ways. Is that a nice way to say it? Some of you know that's funny because it's happened to you that God has other ways. And, and if that sounds scary or if that sounds threatening in some way, let me back up a second and say it like this. He loves you too much to leave you where you are. Does that make sense? You, you got a little kid and you're in the parking lot, you try to hold them by the hand, you know, if, if they're runners, right? If they're runners, you hold them by the hand. And then you try to teach them, you know, you walk beside me, we're in the parking lot, see these cars, so you try to teach them. And if they try to run, you grab them. If they try to run and they try to run and they try to run, you might find a more intense way of getting their attention. <laughs> right? That's what I'm saying. Some of us are runners. That's what we, we like to think of ourselves as God. I'll just hold your hand wherever you go, God. I'm going with you. But some of us are not that way. We're like, I can do this. We pull our hand back. I can do this. And we run. And we don't know where the dangers are. We don't know where the troubles are. But that's us. So God finds creative and intense ways of getting our attention. That's what he does. I got my Bible up here. And I know in this book there is example after example after example of how God gets people's attention. Some of them we would call pleasant. Many of them are not. But it is God's way of getting the attention of a man or a woman and, and taking them where they need to go. So if you're here today and you're thinking about this reset thing, then that's what I want you to see. If God's gotten your attention lately, it's because He loves you. It's because He cares. That's why He did it. If it was a little bit painful to you or maybe a lot painful to you, just again, understand it's because he loves you. doesn't mean the thing that happened was good. It's just God allowed something into your life. And, and if its result was that it turned your heart and mind toward him, that's a good thing. I need to hit the pause button and say something. I tried to stress last week as best I knew how that Jesus Christ did not come to condemn you. He did not. And we had that example. We read it. He does not come to condemn you. But we do need to understand this. That God will allow us to reap the consequences of the things we've done. Okay? So that's a different thing. You know, could God take away the consequences of our actions? He could. I'm just telling you, in most every case I know about, He doesn't. 
He lets us reap what we sow. If we plant some things in our lives and we've done some things in our lives that are not good, he lets the consequences be there. And those things can be quite painful, and, but God will take that and from it he'll bring good. He'll change us and he'll move us in the right direction. He'll get us to where we need to go. So I don't, people get it confused. You know, they think about, well, I'm, I'm, I have some consequences in my life, but they think it's condemnation, but it's not. Jesus does not condemn you. He takes the condemnation, but he will let you have the consequences of your action. But he'll work even in those things to get you where you need to go. Do you use your phone for navigation? Okay, I use the Google Maps, you know. That thing's a genius. It knows my name. It talks to me. It's just genius. So, so I'm using the phone, and I, you know, this is, I need this. It's great. I, I tell the phone where I want to go. The phone tells me how to get there. And then somehow I make a wrong turn. You, you've done it too? And then the phone tells you what you need to do next, right? You need to, go, you need to make a U-turn. In 1.3 miles, make a U-turn, okay? Or, or it'll tell you, you know, it reroutes or whatever, and it says, you know, in 1.3 miles, take a right. Because it's still trying to get you to where you, where you needed to go. It's just you're going to go a different way now. All right, that's what we do. See, we, God has a destination, a place, a, a, a thing in life that he wants to get us there, and we, we reroute it sometimes by making some wrong turns. We turn left when we should have stayed straight. And we do that, and we reap the consequences of what we've done. But that doesn't change the fact that God still knows how to get us from where we are now to where we're supposed to be. So he reroutes that whole thing. And it may require a U-turn. It may require a left turn. Whatever it is, it's a different kind of choice. But that's what God's doing. He's getting you to where you should be. And he'll do that by getting your attention. And he'll get your attention sometimes in some really unusual ways. Well, here's the third idea in the same text. So God will speak from unexpected places. It's one of the most obvious lessons in this passage. It's just the idea that, that God speaks from a bush. And, you know, when I read this, I, it's the voice of Jesus in the bush. He's called the angel of the Lord when you read it closely. And, you know, in theological circles, they call this a theophany. It is a place in the Old Testament before the birth of Jesus. It's a place where Jesus showed up. And he either appeared or he spoke or he did something. And there's a really interesting phrase in the Old Testament called the angel of the Lord. It's just an interesting phrase. And every time that phrase is used, it's something like we just read in Exodus 3. And so in theological circles, they say that's a theophany. That's Jesus involving himself in his world, showing himself in this world even before he was born as a babe in Bethlehem. So that's just all free stuff. I gave you that all extra today. Okay. But that's what that is. It's a theophany. It's Jesus in that bush. He, he is the voice in that burning bush, and he's speaking to Moses. He is the same one who spoke to Abraham and called the people to be a people. And now it's over 400 years later, and he is the same one who's speaking to Moses, and he's saying to Moses, Moses, I got something for you. I got a job for you. And you're going to go back to where my people are in Egypt, and you're going to tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. And he's not going to do it, but I'm going to show him a few things. And then he's going to, and you're going to plunder the place, and you're going to leave, and I'm going to take you to the place where you should have been all along. 400 years they had been in Egypt. 
And when God begins to speak, when Jesus begins to speak to Moses, he says to him, I am the God of your father. And then he backs it up. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And is it any wonder at that point Moses didn't know what to say? That he hid his face from God? But God had spoken to him. Now, I use that phrase a lot, and I say it a lot in church. And sometimes it does confuse people because they'll come back to me and they'll say, well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, is it like an audible voice? Is that what you heard? I mean, what does it mean to hear the voice of God? All I can tell you is he speaks to people in his own way, in his own time. And when he does, you know it's him. If it, if it sounds like a whisper in your soul, that's what it sounds like. If it sounds like a voice in your head, that's what it sounds like. If it sounds like an audible voice to you, like somebody's in the room, what was that? Then that's what it sounds like. If you're reading the Bible and it's as though God himself began to speak to you through the words, then that's what it sounds like. If you're in a church service and someone says something or someone's singing a song or someone like me is preaching a message and all of a sudden something just becomes real in your heart, if that's what it sounds like, that's what it is. But God finds a way to speak to us and when he does, we know it's him. It's not just our voice anymore. And I've said this before. Need to re-say it today. <clears throat> One of the hardest things you'll ever do as a follower of Jesus Christ is learn to discern inside of you that different voice, the one that's not you, the one that, that is God. It's when his spirit kind of whispers something in your soul and, and that sounds different than you talking to yourself. That sounds different from the ideas that just pop up in your mind. That sounds different than just a dream you might have at night. It's something else. You just know that voice is saying something else. And when that happens, look, it doesn't happen just for the fun of it. it it's it's going to be life-changing. It will change. It gives you a moment in time to change direction or to do something different or to make a different kind of choice. That's what it is. And, and maybe it only, you know, I mean, you might run into someone who says, oh, this happens to me all the time. Wonderful for them, right? For most people, this doesn't happen all the time. When it happens, it's big. And it's usually life-altering. But just like the reset says, God will speak to us from unexpected places. All right, let's get to the next one. This is where he's going. This is the end game. You know, if somebody comes to you and they want to... Uh, sell you something, you know, you want them to cut through all the stuff, just tell me wh where we're going. Tell me what you're after. This is what God is after. This is what he wants to do. In, in whatever way he gets your attention, whatever unexpected way he speaks to you, whatever it is, this is what, it is, this is what he's doing. He's calling you to encounter him. He wants to bring you to himself. Think about what happened in the Bible. <clears throat> And if you're a student of the Bible or you just read the Bible or you know a lot about, about the Bible, you know how the story works. It starts, you know, if you've got a timeline in your mind, it starts way over here, Garden of Eden, everything's perfect. There are two people, Adam and Eve, and they walk with God in the world. They walk with God in the Garden of Eden. They got it good, right? That's how it starts. Then they ruin everything through their own sin. And the rest of the Bible, then, almost to the end, is the story of how God redeems this broken people. 
all the descendants of Adam and Eve. It's just the long story of God's redemption and how he wants to save them all and bring them to himself. And when you get to the end of the book, which involves the story of the end of the world, whenever that's going to happen, when you finally get there again, what do you have? You got all the people once again walking with their God. That's the end game. He made you for himself. He's God. We're his creation. There is nothing greater in life than to be able to be with your God. And, and while that might only make a little bit of sense to you now, and something about that sounds right, but you're not sure about everything that means, I'm just telling you that's what you were made for. You were made for your maker. There's nothing better in life than to know God, to serve God, to follow God, to be with him, to do the things that he has for you. Nothing better than that. It's exactly what you were made for. And so for a reset, this is it. He's calling you to encounter him. Okay, so I'm Baptist. We're pretty calm in church, right? They gave me a mic with no cord on it. I still don't run around. I don't jump up and down. I don't scream, you know. My grandmother on my dad's side, she would tell me about this... Um, Pentecostal church down the road. And I knew of the church, knew the building and all that, but I never went to a service there. But she would tell me how when her children were little, one of those was my dad, that she would take them to church. But they had people there that jumped pews. You know what I'm talking about? You ever been in a pew jumping church? I don't mean like going down the aisle. I mean like hop, you know. <laughs> they go over the pews, okay? Yeah, that's not for me. Not for me. But my grandmother was kind of the same way. You know, she would take her kids to church and then some of this would happen. And so she wouldn't come back for a long time. And I said, well, why didn't you go to the Baptist church? She said, there wasn't a Baptist church. And I said, because we don't jump pews in Baptist churches unless there's a lizard or something. <laughs> Candy knew what I was talking about. That'll make a squirrel or a lizard. Okay. That'll make Baptist move. But, but we don't do that. And there we go. And, and the reason I say all that is because I know what happens. I mean, we're the kind of people, when you come to a service, you, you want to hear something from God. I mean, that's part of why you're here, okay? But that is such a personal thing. There's a limit to what we want to do with other people around, right? I want to have an encounter with God, but I don't want to necessarily do it in front of you. You see what I'm saying? That's how we are when we get together. We, it's like we, we've got, we want God. And we want to meet God. We want to know His presence. And we want everything good that comes with that. But we're afraid of what it might be like if we just get too close to God. So we're still in public. Like, God, can you wait till we get home? Till it's just you and me, God. Can we do it like that? And the answer is yes. Answer is yes. It starts sometimes in a service like this. But it doesn't end usually in a service like this. Because at some point, if you're going to have an encounter with God... It's going to be you, God, and there's not going to be anybody else on your mind. Probably not anybody else around. It's just going to be you and God. And when you have those encounters, they are life-altering. Now, there's a sense in which you can be in the presence of God every single day, every moment. You can talk to God every day. You can be aware of His presence every moment. I mean, that, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about are those things that happen maybe just a few times in our lives. Maybe just once, twice, three times, maybe four in your whole life. When you know you were in the presence of God and it changed you. 
Okay. That could be you today. Could be you in the very near future. But I'm telling you, based on the scripture, that's his end game. That's what he's doing. He's going to get your attention. He's going to speak to you in a certain way. And he is, he is trying to get you to him. That's what he's doing. So on your part, you just have to say yes. You just have to say yes. All right, let me give you this last one. So when you have these moments, when you really know the presence of God or you encounter God in some powerful way, when that happens, this is what God gives you. He's going to give you context and direction. He's going to overwhelm you with the fact that He loves you. That's going to blow you away. He's going to overwhelm you with the fact that He's there. That's going to blow you away too. But part of what He wants to do is He wants to give you some context for what's going on and then give you some direction. And isn't that exactly what happened to Moses? When God said to him, I am the God of your father, your father, and then he connected that faith back to the faith, which is I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The whole Hebrew people, all of them, I'm that God. He, when God said that, he gave Moses the context for what's going on. This is who you're talking to, Moses. This is who I am. And by the way, this is the same place in the Old Testament where Moses has a little discussion with God about why he can't do all the things God wants him to do. And his first thing, he's, he was a diplomat. I don't know how he learned all that in Egypt, but Moses was a diplomat. And he says to God, well, I'm going to go back to those people that you're talking about. And when I go back, they're going to say, who sent you? So what I tell him. And God says these wonderful words, I am. You tell them, I am. And I am sent you. They knew he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But if you want to really know who he is, that's it. He is the great I am. And so that's how Moses understood God. And that kind of truth about God, when Moses would take that into his heart, he was going to need that in the next 40 years. He was going to need that when he went with those people out into the desert and they made mistakes and wrong decisions and refused to follow God and they wandered around for four more decades out in the desert. At some point, you know Moses looked up and said, God, what are you doing here? Am I in the right place? And the answer is always going to be, I am. Who's going to feed all these people? I am. How are we going to be protected from our enemies? Who's going to do that? I am. What's going to happen when I'm lonely and burned out? Who's going to be there for me? I am. That's who he is. He's the great I am. And he's going to give you context. And then he's going to give you direction. Now, if you're a planner, you're an organizer, you're the kind of person that likes to, you know, just have it all laid out, I'm with you. I like that. Cheryl had her map time she like she was telling me at 9 30 where we were going to be at 11 you know like she, she got it all mapped out and we got all these places again all right it was fine with me because i love that stuff like I'm, let's go she says i speed no i wouldn't speed the truck, the truck was speed. had some things where it goes faster than it should right. <laughs> no not a big, foot big car. But she had it all planned out, and she's right. Like, we, we hit everything. And 
even with some unexpected stuff. We were right on schedule time, okay? So I love that kind of thing. And I like to be the kind of person, like, I know we're going to be here next week, and I want to know where I'm going to be in a month. And I like to have, you know, I keep a calendar on my phone now, and I got stuff. I mean, I'm booked, you know, 18 months out. I got stuff and, and plans and whatever. I know where I'm going to be next summer. I mean, just, that's me, okay? But here's what happens. You have an encounter with God. He gives you the context kind of your life, and He shows you something you didn't see before, and then He gives you direction. He doesn't care about what's on your calendar. He changes your plan, right? That's what He does. Um, I don't know if you play with Google calendars, but you you can set up all these calendars. You can have a birthday calendar. You can have a church calendar. You can have a personal calendar. You know, God, He just does His own little thing there. He says, like, God calendar, and He turns all the others off. So now your calendar just shows his stuff and not all the stuff you had planned. Okay? That could be what it's like for you. That might be what it feels like to you sometimes. He gives you the context and he gives you direction. And, and what he wants you to do is you have to, you have to lay aside your plans. Sometimes you have to lay aside your dreams, your goals, and you just have to take up the ones that he gives you. That, that's what we're talking about here. And what I can promise you is that his dreams for you are always better. Always better. So over the weekend, I had a chance to be around a bunch of college people, you know, a bunch of college young people. And, you know, they have dreams and aspirations, right? And they're going to do this, they're going to do that. And, and I'm thinking and I'm praying, but mostly I'm thinking about it and I'm going, but if you'll just dial into the dream God has for you, It'll be so much better than anything you've ever thought of. It'll be so much better. And okay, we're not college students. We're a little bit older. But the same thing's true for you today. You need that encounter with the presence of God. You need Him to give you the context, help you understand your life in a bigger spiritual context, and then accept the direction that He gives, the purpose and plan that He has. If you do that, that's a reset. That's a reset. So those are the five I want to share with you today. And what I'd like to do is give you just a few moments to just respond to God. Just a few moments to talk and pray to Him. And what we're going to do in a moment is we're all going to stand together. I'm going to lead in a group prayer. And then there's going to be some music playing, one of the songs we've already heard today. And while that song plays, I just want you to bow your heads and, and just have a little moment to reflect and talk to God. You say, well, I don't really know how to talk to God. Well, just, just in your mind, just start talking. I'm, I'm telling you, He knows. He can hear it. He knows you're praying. You say, is that what praying is? That's, that's what praying is. You just talk to God, and he hears. Mm-hmm. And so whatever's on your mind, whatever's in your heart today, I want you to have a few moments to do that. I'll be standing right over here in the front. I'm going to put my mic down. I'll be right over there. If you want someone to pray with you, uh, I'll be glad to do that. But you can pray where you are as well. All right, let's stand together. Father in heaven, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And thank you for your word that teaches us so much. And today as we've looked into this passage and we've just kind of drawn out the lessons that are there for us, and I know you've stirred some things in, in the minds of people. So I pray, Lord, in this time of response that we'll just say yes to you and the things you do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.